Calling all AEC professionals. Get ready for unparalleled professional insights with detailed and original podcasts by RCAT. This is the podcast that brings you the untold stories and lessons learned behind the design and delivery of a building project. Hey, it's Sharice Lakeside, aka the CSI Kraken, and your host. Join me as we dive deep into the tales of conflict, triumph, and sheer ingenuity. Yeah, so when Serena was named for the, it was going to be named for the building, you know, we really were able to work with teams at Nike Branding and how to really infuse her influence and identity in the very public spaces. Detailed features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who spill the beans on the most complex, interesting, and downright odd building conditions they've encountered. Another challenge of the of the shuttle is actually and putting it in launch position is how you brace that seismically. It's really supported by only two pins at the base of the booster rockets. And there's a large base isolator that's underneath the shuttle that kind of prevents it from moving too much in an earthquake. The, you know, when you have 600 people or 300 people in a room, acoustically, you really need a high floor to floor so that you can have the right acoustic environment for people to be able to talk and that, that speech intelligibility is really good. Every episode unveils lessons learned and connects you to the products you need to navigate similar challenges. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Detailed today and be prepared for the unexpected on your next project. Every building has a story and we are here to tell it. You taking my thing. <laughs> oh, you're going to say that? Yeah. You didn't Well, what what you doing? Right, you're not writing anything. Exactly. I know cuz I was going to wing like it. Welcome back to She Builds Podcast where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. On today's episode, we will talk about Margaret Ingalls, one of the first female mechanical engineers. I'm Lizzie Rahr, feeling sleepy on this cloudy day in San Francisco, and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts, Jessica and Nergidi. I'm Nergidi Rivas, thinking about taking a nap after this great talk in Houston, Texas. And I'm Jessica Rogers, Zoom fatiguing real bad, based out of Washington, D.C. I feel you, Jessica. Mm-hmm. But we got this. We got it. Like always, our quick disclaimer. The three of us are not historians, nor are we experts on this subject. We're just sharing stories about the information that we find about each woman. If we get our facts a little mixed up, please forgive us. Leave us a comment and we will all continue learning. All right. So today we're going to talk mechanical engineering. Are you guys excited? Yeah, extremely excited. I want to dedicate this one to my favorite mechanical engineer, She Builds Podcast fan, Claire Spearing. Hey, girl. Hey. Oh, hey. Yeah, yeah. I am so excited to get into this world of mechanical engineering. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All righty. So, Margaret Engels was born on the best day of all days, ladies. October 25th. Oh. Yeah. Oh, Is that why you picked her? Mm-hmm. Just a happy coincidence, but it did endear me to her more. Naturally. She was born in 1892, so we're only 98 years apart in age. 
Well, that's not that much. <laughs> not that much at all. Just a couple. Yeah. <laughs> she was born in Paris, Kentucky. Her parents were Benjamin Charles and Mary Agnes Wilson Ingalls. Fun fact, apparently her great-great-great-grandma, Catherine Boone Ingalls, was related to Daniel Boone somehow. Who that? Daniel Boone was that frontiersman and early explorer of the Mississippi. He basically founded Kentucky as a settlement. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there is a story that kept coming up in my research about Margaret that as a kid, she was fascinated by water condensing on a glass and wanted to understand the science behind it. A lot of the research notes this as the first sign of her going into mechanical engineering and her future work on air conditioning. Fascinating. <laughs> uh, okay. When I was growing up, I liked water stuff too, but I thought I would become a mermaid or something like that. <laughs> I, I didn't necessarily think that I'd become a mechanical engineer. <laughs> yeah, it's a little different. Well, mm-hmm. Just a little different. <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah. So Margaret went to public school and in 1911, she enrolled at University of Kentucky in Lexington. She actually wanted to study architecture, but they didn't have an architecture program at the school. So the dean, F. Paul Anderson, convinced her to go for a degree in mechanical engineering. And once she was in the program, she was considered one of the dean's boys. I guess it worked out that she couldn't study architecture. Yeah. Yeah, this sounds a little familiar, too. It reminds me of Julia Morgan and how she wanted to study architecture, but began studying civil engineering. Yeah. Also, I have mixed feelings about her being one of the dean's boys. Like, I know they mean it as a compliment, but it's just sad that they had to be considered one of the boys to be thought of as good. Yeah, that also seems kind of odd. But I'm going to think that maybe this is the beginning of what we know as like the dean's list, because dean's boys sounds kind of problematic to me, too. Yeah, agreed. But not surprising due to the times. True. Uh, Yeah. So there was an article in Scientific American that said even though there was that story about her being super into condensation as a kid, they said, quote, Miss Ingalls said that it was no particular astuteness on her part that led her into the engineering field, but only plain dumb obedience to her family's wishes. Wait, what? So her family wanted her to be a mechanical engineer? Yeah, I... I have no idea. I couldn't figure out what her family did or what she meant by that quote, but it is apparently how she felt about her going into engineering. So Mm. I have another great quote from the school paper, guys. Okay, Can't wait for this one. (laughs) So in the Kentuckian, there was a photo of her and the caption says, quote, Maggie has the distinction of being the first and only girl to graduate from the College of Mechanical Engineering. She has not been a hanger on, but has taken everything in the course from forge to the senior trip. While not much given to pushing her views to the front, it has come to light since the war began that she is decidedly pro-Dutch. Uh, there is a lot to dissect there. I don't (laughs) even know where to start. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, so question. What does pro-Dutch mean? If I had to guess, maybe it meant that she was more progressive. Willing to go halvesies on a meal with a date, maybe? (laughs) I would have never thought of that. 
Well, also, I mean, the rest of the quote makes it sound like she was very forward thinking and independent and that she was willing to do everything that the boys would do in her class. Yeah, let's give her a round of applause for being the first and only woman in her class. A wonderfully brave achievement for her. But what in the world does hanger on mean? It definitely sounds negative. Mm-hmm. And I think it means exactly how it sounds. Literally hanging on. She wasn't just going to school to bide her time until she found a husband, but that she was actually going to do the work and to learn. Okay. Well, now we've broken down the whole quote and I still have no idea why her being pro-Dutch <laughs> has any relevance to her being a good mechanical engineer. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'll, I'll give some context. Um, her boyfriend was the University of Kentucky star football player, and his name was Charles Christopher Schrader, and he was nicknamed Dutch. So I guess the quote was kind of an inside joke. Oh, okay, I get it. But that's still a weird nickname, like on both sides, because like, how do you (laughs) get Dutch from there? And I mean, they could have just said that she was Dutch's girlfriend, but I mean, uh, actually, I like that they said that she was pro-Dutch. That's all they needed to know. The quote was referencing her and not who she was dating. (laughs) That's kind of funny. Yeah. Okay. so anyway, so what else did Maggie do besides this football player in college? So during college, Maggie was the secretary for some of the engineering groups, and she was part of the Honor Society. In 1916, she graduated with a bachelor's in mechanical engineering. She was the first woman to get an engineering degree from the university. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So the Kentucky Colonel wrote an article about her after she graduated called Margaret Ingalls in Class by Herself. During the interview, they asked her if she was sorry that she had studied engineering, and she replied, no, I'm not. There were some things to give up that were hard at the time, but I haven't missed them much. The worst feature is that it keeps me away from the other college girls, and I haven't made any real girlfriends at all. Mm. I like that the school is really praising her and her accomplishments, but that's kind of sad that she didn't have any girlfriends. We were just talking about this and how important and instrumental it can be to have people that look like you in these same places. Yeah, I totally agree. And I mean, I'm not exaggerating when I say I'm not sure I would have gotten through college as a sane individual without our strong support group of girlfriends. Yeah. Shout out to United Colors of Slocum. You know who you are, ladies. And (laughs) also, like, there were probably several instances where I could see myself giving up and moving back home. But I think it showcases her strength, too, to have gone at it as the first and only one. Totally. I never think about how solitary the pioneering experience must be, Mm -hmm. how alone they might feel along the way. Yeah, for sure. I imagine that would be really isolating. Mm. Yeah. Okay. The article also said to the all important question, will you ever marry? Miss Ingalls replied, no. It will be four years before another leap year, and by then I hope to be independent. Ooh, I told you she was progressive. Would they have asked that question to a man? Did they ask Dutch that? No. Of course not. It would be assumed that he'd take a wife at some point, and if not, who cares? And make <laughs> more Dutch babies. Mm. Mm, Dutch babies. Oh, now I'm hungry. <laughs> I want some sweet. 
So after she graduated, Maggie went to work at the Chicago Telephone Company in their engineering department. And then in 1917, she left and moved to Pittsburgh to work for Carrier Lyle Heating and Ventilation Corporation. And while she worked there, she got interested in conditioned air. For a little background, Willis H. Carrier is the inventor of modern air conditioning. And so that was the place to be for air conditioning work. Ooh, yeah. That's the name that you see on all the AC units outside. Carrier. Of course, she went to work for an important and innovative company. That's how she rolls. <laughs> well, she also decided to go back to University of Kentucky to get a master's degree in mechanical engineering. And in 1920, she completed her degree and became the first woman in the U.S. to get a master's degree in mechanical engineering. Yay! Go, Maggie! Or Margaret. I don't know if we established that we could call her Maggie. She's my friend now. Yay! Go, Maggie! <laughs> and to go back to grad school in your late 20s, no less, I can only imagine that by getting her master's, it would only give her more opportunities but it's interesting that it was a master in the same topic area. For sure. She was probably expanding her expertise. Yeah, true. Ladies, have you ever thought about getting your master's? And if so, what would it be in? Hmm. I've thought about urban planning. I've always been very interested in that. But honestly, the steep cost of college keeps me from seriously considering it. What about you? Yeah, when we graduated, I was definitely thinking about going for a structural engineering master's at some point. I always liked structures class and thought it would be a really cool complementary degree to architecture. But I completely agree with Nurjiti. The cost is a huge deterrent. Ooh, structural engineering, Lizzie. Mm -hmm. I could never decide what I wanted my master's to be in. So I thought of perhaps something along the lines of either urban planning or real estate development, but I would also like to incorporate sustainability in there somehow or even get an MBA. But yeah, I'm with you, Nojiri. I don't need to stack on any more student loan debt that I already have. Yeah. Well, after graduating, Maggie went back to Pittsburgh because her old dean from college, Paul Anderson, was the director at the Pittsburgh Laboratory. And the lab was part of the U.S. Bureau of Mines and Paul was creating a team with many of his former students to come and work with him. You see, our girl only rolls in important circles. Mm -hmm. Hey, hey. So being a dean's boy had a major benefit. Talk about Maggie breaking into the boys club. Oh, hey. Hey. Sure did. In 1921, she joined the American Society of Heating and Ventilating Engineers Research Lab. They studied air conditioning and also did field testing for the New York Commission on School Ventilation. They were trying to look at attendance and the health of students and use new portable machines that measured the amount of germ-laden dust in the air. That sounds important and beneficial to us even today. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so like my first thought was, yay, air conditioning question mark. But this was the beginning of air conditioning and ventilation. Germ-laden dust doesn't sound fun, though. Yeah, no. No. Mm -mm. So Margaret was working with Paul Anderson still and also with O.W. Armspatch. She helped them create the Anderson Armspatch Dust Determinator. This would become the industry standard for air filtration. Oh, OK. Yeah. She also presented several papers on the research she was doing in 1922. 
Temperature, Humidity, and Air Motion Effects in Ventilation with Paul at the annual meeting of the ASHVE and Temperature, Humidity, and Air Motion and Standard Method of Testing Dust Removal Efficiencies of Air Washers with Armspatch. Three years later, she presented data on air dust determinations. So all of this research helped to create standards for air filtration and cleanliness for the building industry in order to create safer, cleaner, and healthy interior spaces. Oh, okay, Maggie. She really had an influence in how we operate today. Exactly. I feel with this pandemic we're living, air filtration has become even more important. Ooh, very true. And now, as the world is starting to get back together, it's becoming more apparent. Yeah. Yeah. And so air conditioning was actually a big part of this change. It obviously changed quality of life and working conditions, but it also forced businesses and industries to pay more attention to air quality. Today, I think the term air conditioning is first associated with comfort, but it has a lot of other beneficial qualities. Yeah, actually, I'm really allergic to dust. So growing up, the doctor told my mom she needed to get me an air conditioner because it would help clean the air I was breathing in my room. So that's actually what I always associate air conditioners with. Mm, that's true, Nojiri. You always think of air conditioning for like cooling or heating purposes, but you forget that it helps with air circulation and filtration too. Yeah. So in 1929, Maggie went back to work at Carrier in Syracuse, New York. Hey. <laughs> While she was at Carrier, she worked on the design of the sling psychrometer. Do either of you know what this is or have any memory of it from building systems class? Yay, Syracuse. But girl, I don't remember that class. A lot of it was a blur. <laughs> yeah, Lizzie, don't put us on the spot like that. It's not cool. Yeah, but I can tell you, though, that I remember seeing the carrier plant at Syracuse. It was near the airport, but a sling psychrometer. I don't remember that. <laughs> Sounds cool, though. Tell us what it is. All right. So... A sling psychrometer measures relative humidity of the air. It's also sometimes called a wet and dry bulb thermometer because it uses two thermometers, a wet bulb thermometer that is simply a thermometer with a water-soaked wick put over the bulb at the end, and a dry bulb thermometer that has a dry end and nothing on the bulb. And with a regular psychrometer, you'd put the thermometers into an airstream like a fan or something. But a sling psychrometer, you actually spin the two thermometers in the air until they reach an equilibrium. And then you stop quickly and read the thermometers and then you can calculate the relative humidity. That's cool. Unrelated. I think I want something similar like this for my plants, but carry on. To, re to measure their humidity? <laughs> yeah, that can affect the health of your plants. Oh, well, there you go. Go get yourself a psychrometer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that works. <laughs> no idea. Might be. So sling psychrometers are still used today to measure relative humidity, but they are starting to be phased out for electric sensors. But still, they've been used for almost a century. Talk about important. Yeah, that's still pretty cool, though. And I bet that at some point it would still be useful. Exactly. So in 1931, Margaret got asked by President Herbert Hoover to attend the President's Conference on Home Building and Home Ownership in Washington, D.C. And in 1940, she was named one of the 100 outstanding women in the nation at the Women's Continental Congress. Yay, go Maggie. Also, that conference sounds kind of cool. Yeah, and the president asked her himself. How amazing is that? Mm -hmm. Right? 
So this got her national attention. And then she got to go to the White House to be recognized as one of 100 women whose career choice did not exist 100 years ago. That is so dope. Yeah. Wow. So over Maggie's career, she wrote more than 45 technical articles for magazines and journals. And she wrote a biography about Willis H. Carrier, her friend and colleague, titled Willis Haviland Carrier, Father of Air Conditioning. And she gave more than 200 speeches on heating and ventilation over 20 years. (laughs) Who knew that there would be a need to have over 200 speeches on heating and ventilation? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Also, she was like buddy buddies with the father of air conditioning. That's pretty cool. Yeah. One of her most famous speeches was called Petticoats and Slide Rules. She was speaking to the Western Society of Engineers in Chicago in 1952. And in the speech, she talked about the various women engineers who had come before her and short biographies about them. Yes. Spread the word. Giving credit to the women that came before and proving that women can do it in the present. Finger snaps. Who run the world? Girls. Who run the world? Who run the world? Girls. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a list of future episode alerts. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I thought it was so funny. It was sort of like her speech was a version of our show before our show. Beautiful. Right. So, so meta in this. <laughs> yes. So in the speech, she said the woman who joins the procession of engineers today, tomorrow and tomorrow's tomorrow benefits from a rich heritage bequeathed to her by those who came before. She assumes automatically the responsibility to further prove that petticoats and slide rules are compatible and that she must not carry the responsibility lightly. Her task is to widen the trails blazed for her and more. She must build them into great highways for women engineers of the future to travel, free of prejudices and discrimination. Oh, man, I could cry. I know. (laughs) I know that she is referring to engineers, but I think the same can be applied to every profession. I mean, that's why Mm -hmm. we're here doing what we do, right? So beautiful. So beautiful. Yeah, I totally feel she's talking to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in 1952, after more than 30 years at the company, Maggie retired from Carrier and moved back to Kentucky. Her co-workers gifted her a silver tea set when she left, and in her retirement, she would have tea with her friends at her apartment. I pero que cute, right? Que cute. I wonder if she would put a little bourbon in her tea. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I mean, it seems appropriate when, when in Kentucky. And I mean, she is retired. I mean, yeah. I see me drinking margaritas in my tea set playing bingo. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds great. Yeah. Well, Maggie passed away on December 13, 1971 in Lexington, Kentucky at the age of 79. 1971? She was born in 1892. She lived through two world wars and she did so much. Seriously, she was such a pioneer. I'm so happy that she received so much recognition in her lifetime. I wonder if she's discussed in engineering schools. Though I asked an engineer once if they studied women in school and she explained that they actually don't discuss people in general, that history class focused on formulas and specific projects, which I found so bizarre. Like, how could they not discuss specific people? Where are the Stargeneers at? (laughs) (laughs) 
I do feel bad because I feel like engineers don't get a lot of credit on projects and things like that. Mm. Change that, engineers. Yeah. Go get your credit. Let's do it. Get yours. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, in 1996, the American Society of Heating, Refrigeration, and Air Conditioning Engineers, ASHRAE, inducted her into their Hall of Fame. Posthumously, we might add. But yay, she'll be there for future engineers to see. True. But still, took them long enough. I mean, this woman made it to the ASHRAE Hall of Fame, though. Talk about someone who was not a hanger on. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, she was rolling in the big circles. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Well, before we leave you, we have to tell you who our karyotid is for this week's episode. Jessica, can you remind us what a karyotid is? Sure thing, Chica Wang. <laughs> for some background, a karyotid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek-style building. Each episode, we'll choose a karyotid a woman who is working today furthering the profession through their work and who ties into the historical woman of our episode. All right. Without further ado, this week's karyotid is... (laughs) Andrea Thompson. Yay! Andrea! Andrea was chosen this year as one of the 20 women to watch in HVAC by Engineered Systems. Oh, hey. Oh, hey. So Andrea says that it was her grandfather who first piqued her interest in buildings and engineering. He actually built several homes in Roebuck, South Carolina, including the house that he lived in and where they would go visit him. She said this was so inspiring to her and the fact that he was able to be a small business owner as a black man in the segregated South. What a great role model and inspiration for her and for everyone, for that matter. I love hearing stories like these. I love hearing about families of color that are creating a sense of generational wealth. So great. I love it. Yeah. So she attended North Carolina A&T State University where she got a bachelor's degree in architectural engineering with a concentration in HVAC. Today, she works as a senior project manager at Specialized Engineering Solutions in Charlotte, North Carolina. And there, she oversees projects at all stages of design and construction. And the company mostly does work on healthcare projects. And she feels passionate about this type of work because she's able to help people since at some point, everyone requires healthcare. And... She's trying to increase comfort and reduce infections through clean, efficient systems. Just like Margaret, Andrea is passionate about improving the quality of spaces through mechanical engineering. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's so interesting to see how Margaret is influential today. And then Andrea is continuing the work. And also in a time like this, it's so important. Yeah. So important. So Mm -hmm. bravo to Andrea. (laughs) Yeah. I'm so happy we discussed mechanical engineers today. Thank you, Lizzie, for finding them. Yeah. You know, out of all the consultants we coordinate with, my favorite are mechanical engineers. What they do is super interesting. And maybe I've been lucky, but they have all been super nice. So I just want to say a quick thank you to Claire, Ken Williams and David Darby. They always take time to explain everything when I ask them, even the most basic questions. And just mechanical engineers in general, thank you for what you do. Keep doing it. Do your thing, chicken wings. (laughs) (laughs) The whole basket. 
All right. Before we say goodbye, we want to say thank you to CMYK for the music, to John W., our technical producer, and most of all, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed learning about Margaret and Andrea along with our banter and that you're inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. Again, thank you. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members, your mechanical engineers. Give us five stars on iTunes. Write us a review. This will all help us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us. We are excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. Leave a comment on our website, shebuildspodcast.com. Or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebuildspodcast and on Twitter at shebuildspod. Until then, bye! Toodles! Bye! Toodles! Stay fresh! (laughs) (laughs) I forgot. I forgot you wrote that. Me too. (laughs) Candidus. No comment. Also, I think his nickname is Dutch because... He's Dutch. Like he's that's Dutch. a Dutch. It's a Dutch last name. Yeah. Yeah. I was oh. wondering. Like he's probably Dutch. I thought it was maybe because he was tall, like the Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> because maybe, but because I like how Jessica player. just assumed. Well, he must be tall, like because he's an athlete. They're all usually pretty tall, unless they're like horse jockeys who are normally short. So I was like, yeah, could be Dutch. designers and curious minds ever wondered about the stories hiding within your building's walls i'm carrie seaburn structural engineer and host of unstruct the podcast that decodes and simplifies major concepts of structural design behind the math and physics structural engineering simply predicts building behavior join me as we simplify the complex making structural design accessible to everyone nowadays instead of measuring it via cost we're saying well what about carbon you know we've got two levers now that we can if if an architect has an inefficient design we can hit them with two levers if you like (laughs) the official casualty figure is 55,000 everybody I talked to told me that the actual figure is at least three times as much and I believe that I mean seeing what I saw Turkish codes are good and, and they have been improving, but compliance was completely lacking. Fluent in steel, concrete, masonry, and timber design, I'll bring you leading engineers to dissect the tales behind their building structure. Whether you're an architect, contractor, engineer, or just love a good story, this podcast is for you. Yeah, beam penetrations. That's a fun topic on this project. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Unstruct. From within your walls, hear the story behind how your building stands today.